Good evening and welcome to the Joe and Joe Weather Show. I am Joe Chaffee and to my left is the now double-shotted Joe Rayo who uh, has completed his uh, his COVID shot today. You got your second shot today, did you not? Yes, we did. We did. Okay. So now we're fully vaccinated. Okay. I don't see a third eye growing. Uh, you may... You don't have well. Hopefully everything, hopefully everything will go uh, swimmingly as we move into the overnight hours tonight. Right. People have been telling me drink lots of water, take Tylenol, do this, do that. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I will tell we'll you. Well, I will tell you. My my daughter and my son-in-law got the Johnson and Johnson shot, which is the single shot, and they had side effects uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning and they came while they were sleeping and they, they came pretty quickly, but, uh, it was 24 hours and done and they're, they're perfectly fine today. So that's uh, good news on their part. And I, of course, am now going into my sixth day of my second Pfizer shot and I've had no side effects whatsoever. So I'm assuming that I'm going to have no side effects whatsoever. And while we wait for those side effects or whatever other special effects you might see on this show tonight, the Joe and Joe Weather Show brought to you by Omni True Value Hardware as uh, spring is underway. And of course, uh, we saw the best of it last week and the worst of it this week, but it doesn't matter because uh, at Omni True Value Hardware, they're busy whether the weather is good or whether the weather is not so good. Folks loading up their trucks with gravel and mulch and Mulch is the big deal here because they have the tons and tons of it. They actually make it. As you see the camera swing around, you'll start to see some of that beautiful red mulch and the darker mulches. 1226 North Wellwood Avenue in West Babylon, 631-756-1125 is the phone number. The West, uh, website, omnitruevalue.com on Long Island. Support your local businesses. So... I'm trying to decide, Joe, whether it's a was today a doom and gloom day or was it a gloom and doom? Wait, was is today a gloom and doom day or was it a doom and gloom day? Um, I would say gloom and doom. I woke up the first thing this morning, looked out the window, and I said, "Look, it's it's rather gloomy out there." <laughs> By the way, today is today is National Grilled Cheese Day. Oh, there was, so, every day is something different. And really, why can't we have like a national just stop it day? Just stop it. Enough. <laughs> okay. God, it's every well, day is a new, they've come up with every, you know, tomorrow it's going to be national Bic Pen Day. I still have a Bic Pen. And by the way, they are thin, they are thinner than they used to be. Do you remember when they used to shoot big pens out from a rifle into a target and then yeah. they heat it up on a flame and impact so great the pen barrel is shattered, <laughs> but it still writes first time every time. It does. Yes, I remember those commercials quite well. So, In fact, this, this, is this a big – no, it's not a big pen. It's a pen from a hotel, but it looks like a big pen. Which, which one did you lift that one from? <laughs> this is – uh, Crystal in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, I haven't been to Salt Lake City in since well, quite a few years. That, that was a that was well, a right, well, that was a, a weather convention. That was a weather convention at Salt Lake City. Maybe the statute of limitations is, is, has uh, passed on whether they'll prosecute you on that pen. So, um, 
getting a break tomorrow from this gloom and doom weather here in the Northeast and the Northern Mid-Atlantic states. There were places that barely got to 50 today. Meanwhile, I had uh, blue sky and sunshine here in North Georgia with a nice gusty north northerly breeze and temperatures that were in the 60s. I mean, just an absolutely gorgeous day. Uh, so I guess as long as the blocking pattern holds, that's actually very good for me down here because it keeps things mostly dry and no uh, no severe weather issues. And are we ready for the end of the week when there's the potential for some places in eastern New York and adjacent western New England to maybe see their final snow of the season? Yeah. Uh, maybe? I, uh, I know some of the models were showing um, you know, varying amounts and degrees of uh, frozen and or freezing precipitation, be it the European or the GFS. I, I still am going to stick with my idea of elevated areas, mainly above 1,500 feet. Although I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be completely shocked if Thursday night, and I think that's really going to be, you know, Thursday night into Friday morning. That will be probably the time frame where you you, you might see some wet snow mix it in those places or go over to whetstone and probably maybe even accumulate in those higher elevations. I wouldn't be shocked uh, if places in, in elevations lower than 15, 1,500 feet uh, see some uh, wet snowflakes or some ice pellets. I don't think it makes it down anywhere close to the coast in my never-to-be-humble opinion. I know the snow weenies might be jumping up and down, but I'm not on that, I'm not on that page. Yeah, once again, as we said yesterday, it looks like it's going to be a case of um, cold enough from the top down. And unfortunately, by the time it does get all the way down, it may be just a tad too warm for all of you snow lovers to uh, enjoy. Uh, See, although, you know, maybe a a few wet snowflakes may make it all the way down. But if you're looking for accumulating snow, uh, that doesn't look like it's in the doesn't look like it's in the cards right now. Maybe in a few days, things might look a little different but yeah. right now yeah it, it, um, it's too early as cheap a drill as you can get sure i mean it's too early to see what the actual profile of the low levels is going to be we're not going to really know that well and uh, at least get a good hint of it until about wednesday but one of the things you're going to need here's a couple of things in my mind that would work against it and and that is if you were if this were a a, a really super strengthening upper low where you had a a surface low that that pressures were going to drop from say just to throw some numbers out there, from say 10, 12 millibars when it's east of New of uh, Virginia to something like a 988 or a 984 south of Long Island, east of New Jersey, uh, then then come talk to me because then uh, th- then in a situation like that, you're likely to have some some really good vertical motions to work with Thursday night into Friday morning, and that that might be enough to cool the atmosphere, the bottom part of the atmosphere down for a few, at least a few hours. But I, I'm not seeing that. Uh, I'm not seeing that on the guidance at all. And the other thing is, once you get past sunrise on Friday morning, I'm kind of thinking you're not going to get a whole lot of intensity out of whatever precip is on the back side of there. So in which case, you'll be sitting in in, in bone chilling raw upper 30s to mid 40s, and you're still going to wind up seeing rain out of that. Well, we do have a rather uh, formidable, or is it formidable? I'm always wondering how you. I'm, I'm a that formidable word. guy. Exactly. You're a formidable I'm, guy. I've been formidable. 
I've, <laughs> I've been, I've been a formidable person for many years, Joe, but yeah. uh, it does look like the storm is going to be uh, uh, bombing, so to speak, bombing out Thursday night and Friday morning. And if you look at the, uh, and again, this is like five days away, four days away. If you look at the uh, FGen, you can see that a lot of the good Omega is out to sea to our south and to our east come late Thursday night and Friday morning. I mean, you really would need that to kind of swirl up and over us for us to have a shot or a chance to see any of that snow actually, A, develop at the coast, and B, possibly even stick. And even if it does stick, it won't be sticking to the, uh, to the pavement. It probably would be sticking more to grass and colder surfaces. But again, it may make for an interesting end-of-the-week scenario here. Uh, right now, though, you know, it, 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 gloom and doom or doom and gloom, we're in that type of a pattern. Although, again, tomorrow, as you said, uh, we may see a little bit of a break, a little uh, sunshine in the afternoon. Uh, that might be the only really nice day, if you can call it nice, that we may see all of this week. Yeah, uh, that's your break day tomorrow, a little bit of a reprieve. And uh, then we go back into uh, the uh, gloom and doom. The other, the other upside, I think, is Saturday looks like the like a good like a decent day, assuming everything uh, pulls out the way uh, it's being advertised. Uh, we should have some sunshine on Saturday. We might hold on to it for a little while on Sunday, uh, and then after that, maybe another weather system comes in for um, early next week. Uh, no sign of any any really truly warm weather, although in upstate New York. Uh, they had temperatures up close to uh, 80 degrees uh, yesterday uh, because uh, we had one of those upside-down days uh, where uh, if you broke out into some sunshine, the further north you went, the, the temperatures were able to take off. And, of course, if you were sitting in clouds all day yesterday in rain, uh, <clears throat> you had the opposite problem. And this is the spring is the time of year where you usually do tend to see upside-down days where um, it heats up uh, wherever the sun is out. So if, if, if it happens that it's dry to your north and you're sitting in clouds, you're going to wind up with uh, temperatures that could be significantly cooler than places that are normally uh, significantly cooler than than, uh, than you. So there. So there, yes. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't, you know, we're so deep now into the uh, spring season. So, you know, let it snow on Friday. Come on. And if you, if you and if anybody up there is listening, let's make 1.4 inches of it accumulated Central Park so I can get my 40 inches yeah. for this season. One, one, uh, one good thing for areas in the uh, in, in the Gulf states, well, uh, at least as far as severe weather is concerned, probably is going to be some rain to deal with along the southern part of the Gulf states later this week. But uh, as far as severe weather outbreaks. Uh, going on. That looks to be uh, on the table for now, or off the table for now, I should say, uh, as uh, the blocking just brings down too much cool air, cool, dry air uh, southward, and it really doesn't leave an opportunity for the Gulf of Mexico to really warm up, uh, open up, and, and shoot the tropical moisture uh, well, other than along the immediate Gulf Coast and pushing it you know, much further to the north, and then you get those days where temperatures are in the 80s and dew points are up close to 70, like we did late last week. Meanwhile, uh, the up, the first of two upper lows, uh, one uh, now moving finally out of Ohio and moving right along to the southeast, but we're still seeing uh, areas from northeast Virginia up uh, almost uh, to northern New England socked in with clouds 
and there are some showers. There's a second upper low that's behind it and well behind it at the moment, sitting up just north of um, of northwestern Minnesota. And you can see the rotation of the clouds. That's the second upper low. That's coming down for Thursday and Friday. Meanwhile, wintertime is going to be uh, still in force in, the, in parts of the west, in, in the uh, Rockies, particularly in Colorado and Wyoming, because they're going to see some snow. And I actually had to pull up the uh, WPC's uh, uh, snow forecast maps, Joe, to take a look at what their never-to-be-humble opinion is on on, uh, on snowfall, both the short and the long range. Right. The northern uh, the northern plains look like they're going to be in line, not just for something this week, but even uh, even as we move into the uh, latter stages of the week, there's yet another system. Everything is moving, um, not moving quickly, but everything is kind of jammed together. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, no sooner does one system move out, but another system is moving in. And uh, if you indeed are a snow lover, a winter weather lover, as Joe just mentioned, the West is the place to be for uh, for that kind of weather over the coming days ahead. I'm going to pull up the uh, at the Canada, the Canadian uh, satellite loop here, and uh, w while that loads, and we'll come back to it. Let's let's go to the radar, and I'll give this a quick refresh, since I haven't refreshed it in a while. Uh, but uh, Joe, this is this is where uh, if you if you were you're in the wrong place. Uh, you're you're getting showers uh, and 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 they're coming in off the Atlantic, moving pretty much from southeast to northwest. But if you go from New Jersey south of Route 80 down through southern New Jersey, e most of eastern Pennsylvania down in the Delaware, very little is going on precipitation-wise, and has there's been very little going on there precipitation-wise for most of the day. So it just kind of lined up in where the rain. Uh, is in this sort of narrow band here. It did make it up into upstate New York, north of Albany, which is good news because it's dry there and you're seeing rains back up to Lake Ontario. But that is arcing northwestward. Meanwhile, you have showers in central PA now and northwestern Virginia, northeastern, northeastern West Virginia and northwestern Virginia. Those showers are moving southeast. So that's your upper low. You're on, the upper low, if you look on the radar, it's probably somewhere south of Pittsburgh, I'm, I'm guessing here. And, and moving along. So you're dealing with this, this circulation uh, that is just taking its sweet time getting ejected. And then the same issues going on with precipitation arcing northwestward through the upper peninsula of Michigan, moving northwest back into northeastern Minnesota. And then you see the rotation in the other direction. This is snow up in North Dakota that is moving southeastward. So the time of year where you get these upper lows and you see things spinning around and they really can impact the accuracy of your forecast if you're not if, if you don't have that the position of the upper low correct you could uh, you could bust a forecast very easily in in a pattern like this you know this may have been a problem for whoever does the forecast for the New York Mets yesterday uh, as you may be aware if uh, you are especially a Met fan they decided that they would start the game, yes. even though it was raining. They decided that they were going to start the game at the at the uh, one ten start time, and no sooner had they started, eight minutes later they stopped it. They covered the field. They waited two hours and ten minutes, and then they finally just threw up their arms and said, "Okay, that's it. No game today." Yes, and my sister, who is but we get to my keep the parking lot fan, money. Well, exactly, exactly. The parking lot money. And also, of course, if you have fans already in the stands, 
you keep them there for a couple hours uh, to consume whatever beer or uh, food or drink that they possibly could get their hands on. And then finally, it's, all right, they've been in there long enough. Call the game. You know? Right. And they'll never. And, you know, the thing is, the thing is, they'll never admit it. They being the management of the Mets or any major league ball club. They all do this. And yet, you know, they and then they they turn around and they say, well, you know, the forecast was uh, was uh, a problematic and they didn't know when it was going to begin or when it was going to end or whatever. So they always put the they always put the blame on us. Well, meanwhile, they're sitting there, you know, collecting their their money for the, you know, for the food, for the parking. You know, they, well, they, they've done this more often than not. They could have if they if they really. And of course, they any any good forecaster worth their salt would have been able to tell them, hey, you know what? You're not going to be able to play a game today. Why don't you just cancel? Of course not. They're not going to do that. They need to get some revenue. So somebody they, has they to say, pay right, those. Well, we'll, somebody has to pay those hundred million dollar ball pay players. Exactly. Well, hundred million. The Mets have a three hundred and forty-three million dollar ball player. Oh, good it, Lord. I hope that I hope they went. I hope I hope a lot of people went to Shake Shack at City Field yesterday and consumed a lot of hamburgers because it, there's going to be a lot of hamburger money going to that one player on the Mets. <laughs> Paul Paul Paul, Paul Robin points out the upside of this, and that is that at least we can't blow any more games if the Mets don't play. Oh yeah. Yeah, in fact, a, a long time ago, when I've been a Met fan for a very long time, my grandmother got me for one of my birthdays a New York Met mug, coffee or tea mug. And the best part about the mug was is that when you got to the bottom of the mug, it said on the bottom of the mug, after all the all the beverage that you were drinking, tea or coffee or whatever was gone, it said at the bottom of the mug, we can't lose today. <laughs> And it was on the outside of the mug. There was a picture of Mr. Met holding an umbrella. So, <laughs> oh, good lord, good lord. Uh, the uh, mid uh, the the southern parts of the Mid Atlantic through the southeast uh, and down into Florida, uh, no radar action across the Gulf states. No radar action. Starting to see a few thunderstorms pop up. A little small area there in central Texas. That's where the severe weather risk is uh, for today. The Storm Prediction Center. Uh, well, let me roll it back. Uh, I was looking at days four through eight, which has potential too low for all uh, that whole long range period. Slight risk of severe weather in a very narrow area extending from, uh, oh, I'll just say from about Del Rio on the eastern side. And, and then you, you see how narrow it is. It just kind of pushes northwest of the Dallas Fort Worth area. The marginal risk runs up into southeastern Oklahoma and a very uh, teeny tiny portion of um, of Western Arkansas, and that's it. And they also have a little small area of general thunderstorms in the western half of Pennsylvania. That's that's with that upper low. So if they haven't happened yet, uh, they're probably not likely to happen. And then when we go on to uh, day two for tomorrow, uh, we're seeing a uh, rather another small area of marginal risk in East Texas and over the state of Louisiana and a small portion of southwestern Mississippi. And on day three, which uh, covers the period from Wednesday uh, into Thursday, uh, it's just general thunderstorms possible from Texas to the Carolinas, back down to the Florida Panhandle. No severe weather uh, area is being indicated at this point. And as we said, from days four to eight, uh, looking at um, a potential being very low. And and, and here's the the um, S. I'm sorry, this is the HREF model. 
Uh, and uh, you could, just to take a look at what's transpiring here with respect to uh, conditions aloft, there's your upper low uh, at this morning at uh, 8 a.m., sitting in northeastern Ohio. And then you also see that second upper low that's back uh, in Minnesota. And the two of them are kind of chained together, but the lead upper low is, for the most part, weakening. <clears throat> and uh, by, uh, actually, at uh, 9 o'clock tonight, it's forecast to be a very tiny closed low uh, in southeastern PA, and then it moves on out. And then, of course, what's left behind uh, is the strengthening upper low in the western Great Lakes, and that is going to wind up starting to move to the southeast. And, of course, if you look on the upper right, you'll notice that there's a, a strong upper low uh, near south of Nova Scotia not going anywhere. So the, the three of these upper lows, you've got that one, you've got the one in the lakes, you've got the next another one, a rather vigorous one that came in from the west, and that winds up uh, in near Idaho and Utah, and that'll be the seeds for the snow that'll probably be that will be occurring in parts of the western U.S. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a uh, long stretch. Eh? But but again, tomorrow the, we can hang our hat on a little bit of dry weather and a little bit of brightening of the skies and a bit of sunshine, and then uh, it'll all go downhill thereafter. And again, that uh, that that system on Thursday night, Friday. Rather intense, something that we'll have to watch carefully um, as it passes on by south of Long Island. And uh, that upper low, Joe, associated with that system will make it slow down a bit as uh, we move on into uh, uh, the day on Friday. Hopefully it'll be able to move out just far enough to allow us for a bit of sunshine and return to fair weather for the start of the weekend on Saturday. Mr. Ruben Fairchild is doing his best at offending all the Met fans on the <clears throat> on the board. Uh, uh, when he's done with them, he'll probably work on everybody else. Uh, we have uh, wind and, uh, winter weather advisories, northeastern uh, Montana, the northern half of northern North Dakota, northwestern Minnesota. Nothing up uh, yet for the uh, in the west, other than some red flag warnings in parts of California and in western Arizona. And you can see a little severe thunderstorm watch that is up uh, in that slight risk zone. Uh, in uh, Texas. WPC's rainfall for the next seven days uh, with most of, you know, still getting some rain tonight, Joe, but the, the uh, seven-day totals from eight o'clock tonight to eight o'clock next Monday night, uh, an inch and a half or more. And uh, in northern New Jersey, they've actually got it uh, somewhere between uh, an inch and three quarters and two and a quarter inches uh, there. And in uh, the lower Hudson Valley and maybe to New York City and western Long Island, also small little bubble of an inch and a half in southeastern New England, uh, the uh, three quarters of an inch to an inch pushing well up north of I-90. Again, good news for the dry areas in upstate New York. Uh, heavy rain of three to five inches uh, in uh, southern Louisiana uh, and into southern Mississippi. Uh, the either side of that, an inch and a half or more. But again, you see how it's pushed down more toward the lower part of the Gulf states and not pushing all the way up. And that's the block at work, kind of keeping everything suppressed in the south. Uh, Precip amounts in Colorado, northern New Mexico, Colorado, and to Wyoming. Uh, liquid amounts uh, anywhere from a half an inch to as much as an inch and a half. So somebody's going to wind up with some big snows there uh, out of, out of uh, that weather system coming in. The northwest is dry. Much of California down into Arizona dry. And then you see this little cutout from uh, southern South Dakota, eastern Nebraska, Iowa, northern Missouri, through much of Illinois, Indiana, western Ohio, 
no precip is being forecast there in the next seven days, nor is there any precip being forecast for much of central and uh, northern Maine. Must be interesting to be able to live in uh, that cutout that you just mentioned in the nation's midsection. You're kind of in the middle of in the middle of uh, well, kind of like an oasis, if you will, and everybody all around you is getting getting hit with some sort of precipitation, rain and snows off to the west and south, and uh, just plain uh, rain south and east. And it almost looks like there's a bullseye of, if you will, of precip over the immediate tri-state area over the uh, next seven days, yes. based upon what uh, WPC has come up with. David Fuller hit Super Chat tonight. Thank you, David. Most appreciated, as always, as we uh, take a look at the uh, WPC snowfall probability, 95% probability of at least two up in northern North Dakota. And then we'll, uh, that, that, of course, is with the upper low that's up there tonight doing its deal. And then that next one, the one behind it, is the vigorous system that is responsible for this forecast for the next 72 hours. This is going to come later in the forecast period. But WPC has a, a couple of areas there of 80% or more in uh, in Wyoming, in the central and western Wyoming, and also southeastern Wyoming down through central Colorado, just west of Denver, uh, showing uh, probabilities of at least two. I'm going to jump over to four. Let's see what they do with the four-inch uh, probability. Uh, over the next 72 hours, and uh, oh, not too shabby here. Uh, central Colorado, North Central, and Central Colorado uh, in a patch there, 80% uh, probability of at least four. I always like to use the 50 as a good measure that uh, four is a pretty good bet there, and also back through Wyoming. Uh, let's go to eight. Let's see what eight has to say. Do they do they have uh, do they have big numbers for eight at this point? Loading. There it is. Uh, the light blue there, 50% probability west of Denver in north central Colorado and also into uh, southwestern Wyoming. So probably going to see some uh, isolated uh, one foot plus snows out of this. And on the long range, okay, uh, I thought this was um, good for us to look at. So let's take a look. I'm going to bring it. Well, hang on. As the maps kind of reset themselves, this is a. I'm trying to get the new forecast, and if there's going, this is for the period from Thursday into Friday, Joe, in the Northeast, the probability of at least a quarter of an inch of liquid equivalent of snow or sleet. Uh, WPC is not impressed, so they have nothing, and then nothing, yeah, right, and then for Friday, for Friday, that's for Thursday into Friday. And then for Friday into Saturday, if I can get close enough, there you go. Uh, somewhere in the Green Mountain National Forest and somewhere in the White Mountain Nas National Forest, they have a 10 to 30% chance of at least a quarter of an inch liquid equivalent of snow or sleet. So at least from what they're thinking, if you look in the Catskills, if you look uh, on up uh, northward uh, into upstate New York uh, there and also into western New England uh, and the models are actually even showing some snow in um, in, in parts of west northwestern Connecticut WPC uh, I guess at this point has just sort of given it the big yawn yeah it, but things will change show we've seen that happen oh, oh. especially even even the uh, yeah I mean even WPC you know, or the SPC people, they, we, we have seen, for example, an SPC, we've asked the question, 
Why aren't they forecasting convection for a specific region? And then the next day, they kind of agree with us, and they get more and more uh, hyped on on convection. You know, we we you know even though we were scratching at saying why aren't they doing anything? Same thing with WPC. I I will bet you that uh, when we get to Wednesday or Thursday, we'll start seeing more of upstate New York and uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Western Massachusetts get uh, into the probability for some sort of frozen precipitation. Yeah, um, I agree. And, but again, right now, uh, I agree with you. They, 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 yeah. they, they'll probably they're probably a day behind on this. That that is, and you're right. That's not unusual. Uh, you and I have already stated from earlier in the show. I mean, we we, we sort of, we th we're thinking elevated areas uh, much further south than what WPC is indicating. Uh, stand a chance of getting something out of this, but I really would feel more comfortable to wait. You know, to to, to wait till Wednesday when we can see, uh, when we could see what exactly we're dealing with here in terms of. You know, I, I'm going to be looking at vertical motions. I want to see what the actual temperatures are. Uh, you know, how 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 much of that cold air is going to actually mix down? Uh, are you going to get precip intensity? Uh, where's the low going to be? Where's the upper low going to be? Then, then I think we'll be in a much uh, better position uh, to to uh, to figure this out. But right now, this is just sort of uh, winded speculation, I guess, on, for the most part. Yeah, and again, uh, you know, all winter long we've been saying that if you go much beyond three or four days, this has not been the winter for making long-range projections because things always always seem to change. Uh, uh, they turn on a dime, so to speak. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, maybe by mid and late week, we'll, we'll have a much better handle. I'm sure we will as to what we may see. But, you know, after all, it is a rather potent low that they're trying to uh, develop south of Long Island by uh, late Thursday night and Friday. And your first glance then you say, my God, what, what, you know, what are we going to see in terms of precip? And, and with the 540, I mean, Joe, we're, we're, the 540 is like, even on the European, is, you know, well south and yeah. well east of us. But that's because um, it's so cold that, aloft. That's not low-level cold air. That's, that's right. aloft. Right. From the top, do top <clears throat> From on the top down. From the top down. You know, yeah, yeah. Top-down well, storms we'll Top down storms work can work well in the winter months, and they can even work well during the month of, of, the month of March. When you get into April, it gets a, it gets a bit more dicey. But I just pulled up the 18Z GFS, which I have not looked at. I saw the 12, but not the 18. But you can clearly see the, the traffic jam and the problem. Last week, the block was, was south. Remember, this, the block was south of Greenland, which is why we had a northerly flow here in the upper atmosphere. It, it, it produced that bone dry, that Arizona dry air that we had for three days and a beautiful sunshine for, for, for four of the five days last week. But now the block has moved up further north into the Davis Strait. So it's in a position where you know, our weather uh, is going to be impacted by these upper lows that are trying to move along. So if you if just looking out here in the Atlantic, you've got one between uh, uh, Greenland and the Azores. You've got this upper strong upper low and storm south of Newfoundland. You've got this upper low that is right now sitting in, in, in western Pennsylvania that is going to be passing offshore. Then we've got this upper low. This is the one, the system for us for, for Thursday that is going to be, um, that is going to be uh, moving through the eastern part of the United States. And another one is born from that uh, when we uh, move the map to Tuesday, Thursday, to, uh, Tuesday night. 
uh, we have an upper low uh, in northern Nevada. That's going to be the storm for uh, the western part of the United States as that drops down and tries to move eastward. But, I mean, look at this log jam here. This is, uh, you've got one, two, three. I mean, these things, where are they going to go? There, there's One can't move unless the lead, unless that, that low, that southeast of Nova Scotia gets out of the way. How's the, you know, how are the other ones going to move? Uh, how are the other ones going to move along? It, it, it's it's a total jam here. Kind of like the eastbound Long Island Expressway at rush hour in the afternoon. Oh yeah, no <laughs> or, doubt. Or, uh, it's it it's it is a slow moving weather pattern, and uh, you know the interesting thing is is that uh, the the GFS what about two weeks ago was kind of headlining or kind of alluding to something around the middle of the month, around the 15th, 16th of the month. And I think uh, a few days later, we were laughing at the fact that they had, uh, the GFS was suggesting, you know, 18, 20, 24 inches of snow for portions of uh, central and eastern Pennsylvania and up into central New York. And I, I will say simply, I, I want to give the GFS a pat on the back because it still, it still looks like there's a chance we may see a significant storm and possibly some snow, certainly not 24 inches. At least I wouldn't say that now, but uh, elevated areas, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the final outcome will be by the end of this week with, with that system. And again, everything moving very slowly, hopefully uh, moving just fast enough to take all of this out of here to allow us for at least uh, part of a good weekend with some nicer weather on Saturday. Yeah, like on Saturday, Joe, maybe mm -hmm. to take our first, take take the tractor mower out and uh, give it a give it a ride on Saturday, but nice. obviously if it if it rains or snows, right. that, that ain't happening. Yeah, nice Ali, nice Oliva. Um, we we have uh, the the new film Oliva. Stan Stanley, would you like to help me with this piano? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's really that low. If you look at the rotation of the low that's south of Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, that that has to get out of the way. And it finally does fi start to move, which allows the Great Lakes low to move eastward. If, if you want to see snow anywhere closer to the coast, you would need that upper low to go a little bit further south than what's being indicated here. It, it kind of moves right on top of, of uh, New York City and Long Island. You want that upper low to probably be down, say, in Delaware Bay. Uh, that would uh, that would make for a very interesting scenario in areas just north and west of the coast in a situation like this. But if it does wind up tracking uh, the way it's being forecast, your heaviest snows are going to fall in those elevated areas that are going to be north of the of the uh, of the track of that upper low, and that would mean the Catskills and maybe western New England. And then finally, it does get out of the way, but then the western, the Colorado low, starts to swing east, and some of that energy. Uh, gets uh, uh, involved with uh, some flow from the northwest. So that would mean for something maybe for Monday. And then, of course, the models were sort of advertising some sort of full latitude trough potential here for the middle of next week. And it's trying to do that here uh, to a certain extent. It's a little bit on the broad side, but you've got troughing in the east and ridging in the west. So if you're looking for dry, warm weather, you're not going to get it with this. I did see some hints on the um, prior run that after that pulls out, we get into some ridging here in the east, and it does show that. This would be for the weekend of April 24th, 25th. 
But then look at that. Here comes another. Here's more energy dropping down from the northwest that drops another big cutoff into the eastern part of the United States uh, toward the end of the month. I mean, this is this was not this is this was not seen in the month of March. I will say that. And if you remember, uh, wasn't too long ago that uh, the experimental, quote unquote, the experimental three to four week Prague was suggesting that the month of April would be from one coast to the other uh, warm, very warm, in fact, uh, above normal. And it doesn't look like April is going to turn out that way, at least the middle and latter part of April. Now, I think these Climate Prediction Center is saying in the shorter term of things, the 6 to 10 and the 8 to 14 day outlook show, they're, they're predicting more of a of a cold, colder than normal weather pattern for much of the central and eastern United States. So it just goes to show you some. I guess that's why the uh, the the three to four week probability uh, forecast is still in the experimental stage, because I don't think yeah. they, they have it quite right just yet. They seem to. And, and I forgot who it was that's pointed this out a couple of times in the on the chat board. Um, I, I don't remember who, who it was. Uh, if you're on, to, if you're on tonight, uh, say something. But uh, it it always seems to me like CPC takes this sort of default position that everything is going to be above normal, and if it's going to be anything other than that, you have to really prove it to them. Because we've seen that we saw that a couple of times during the winter time. I, I think if I think remember correctly. Uh, they weren't exactly bullish about the three cold weeks, the, the, the three and a half cold weeks that we had in the month of uh, February back in January. I, I, I'm thinking back that uh, they were going for above normal temperatures until uh, until the blocking pattern uh, showed up and uh, also the uh, the uh, opening up of some colder air to come, coming down out of Canada getting involved. But it does seem to me, Joe, that it's like their default position is we'll just say above normal all the time, and then when we get there, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll deal with it. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, this uh, system, somebody on the chat board was, uh, they've been talking about uh, the uh, volcano, I guess, down in the Caribbean. There have actually been several volcanoes, actually. There's one up in Iceland, and uh, now there's one down in the Caribbean that has been uh, belching a lot of uh, ash and dust. And uh, somebody, I think, uh, I think uh, Chris Gapedia was uh, talking about uh, the fact that, that that ain't no Krakatoa. And you're right. However, you know, if, if there was any kind of climate influenced by that Caribbean uh, volcano, Krakatoa was kind of like getting hit. You know, if you, you want to use a boxing analogy, it was kind of like getting hit by uh, a left hook from uh, from uh, uh, George Foreman or. Uh, or, or one of those Ernie Shavers, or one of those big boxers, you know, with the big, uh, big powerful punches. One punch and you're down and you're out. But this this uh, system, this volcano down in the Caribbean, while it may not have the potency, let's say, of a Krakatoa or a Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines back in 1991, while it may not have that type of potency, if it keeps doing what it did today and yesterday, it would be kind of like the uh, uh, the opponent on the ropes while the boxer just keeps pounding away, pounding away, pounding away. Now, if it keeps doing this over a span of, a, let's say, a week or 10 days or a couple of weeks, uh, you know, it, it, there may eventually be a lot of ash, a large aerosol cloud covering much of North America, much of the Northern Hemisphere, and that may go a ways to, uh, 
having some kind of an influence well, on, on the climate. It's it's got to get volcanoes, up. It, volcanoes yeah, it's got to get up into the stratosphere in, in, in order in order for that to, to to have to have a real impact. So, uh, I, I saw yesterday with the the Saint Vincent uh, volcano, the plume was up got up to about twenty two thousand feet. Uh, that's not you. You that's, need that's you need, not high enough. Yeah, it's not high enough, and and, and you need a really uh, super eruption uh, to have a, a a big worldwide impact in terms of temperature, or at least a northern hemisphere uh, type of uh, uh, of impact. Uh, back to short short range, of course. Uh, there's our for tomorrow. Everything is gone, so hopefully, like you know, we see that improvement coming. Probably some leftover clouds in the morning and some sun in the afternoon. But then here comes the system for Wednesday night and Thursday. Now the surface low, you've got the upper low and the reflection of the upper low with lower pressures in the eastern lakes. There's a surface low that pops up in eastern Virginia, goes offshore, and then because the upper low is diving southeast, with that surface low pivots back to the northwest. And it's just east of Montauk by Friday morning. And you see how the GFS does have uh, that sort of light, even some of the darker blue snows in western Massachusetts. Uh, I, I, I call that into question at this point because, you know, if that surface, listen, if that surface low inches a little bit further to the north, this may be a moot point uh, as far as uh, wet snow is concerned. So it really is going to hinge on that upper low coming as far, at least as far south as what's being modeled now. If it winds up being a little bit further south, then it, we could be having a different conversation here tomorrow and Wednesday. Meanwhile, low pressure with that new upper low, the piece that the western part of this that forms a new upper low uh, in the west, you start to see snows developing here Tuesday night into Wednesday across Colorado and Wyoming, and that actually continues into Thursday uh, and early Friday morning. So this is kind of a long range, uh, a, a, a long duration event for them. Although it's mostly light stuff, at least initially. Then you get into some bands of heavier snows Thursday night into Friday morning, as that system pulls to the east. And then uh, Saturday, Saturday looks like the our east coast low pulls out. Weather improves for Saturday. Uh, kind of wants to try to hold on for Sunday. And and now the GFS seems to be taking a little longer, bringing up some moisture, keeping it out until Monday night and Tuesday when it's got a, another system coming, you know, that western system sort of pivots around and moves uh, moves uh, up the coast with some rain uh, next Tuesday. And then beyond that, uh, we've got a cold front with a chilly high uh, going into the weekend of April, uh, April 24th, 25th. And this is what it does with a low in the lakes and a strong cold front reaching the East Coast along about uh, Sunday, Monday, April 26th, 27th, and some colder air uh, behind that. So if you're looking for if you're looking for warm days, they're just not going to be able to happen in these uh, in, 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 in this type of pattern. Maybe you get the odd warm day if you get enough sun, you get your temperatures up into the 60s. But it's hard to imagine how you're going to how you're going to do much more with that with this. I agree. I absolutely agree. And again, it looks like for the better part of the next two weeks, it's going to be uh, more chilly than uh, than mild and sunny and dry. And it's it's I, I know it's it is depressing when you think about how lovely it was for many days last week. And now all of a sudden we're paying the fiddler for that. And it looks like we're going to be paying for a good long time. Never could understand how uh, the number of, you know, 
dreary days always seem to outnumber the nice days by a factor of, and this is my unbiased uh, uh, view here, by a factor of like three to one. For like for every beautiful day you get, you get three lousy ones. <laughs> and, and, and so you, we had a nice stretch of weather for a few days last week, and now it looks like the lousy weather is going to be with us for not just this week, but maybe carrying over uh, into uh, next week. On the chat board, Joe, Mr. Reuben Fairchild is asking if I could define for him what VEI is. And VEI is kind of like the, uh, for the geophysicists out there, the, uh, the equivalent of the Saffir-Simpson scale. We, of course, measure the uh, Saffir-Simpson scale, uh, hurricane activity, you know, on a one to five scale. Well, a VEI is Volcanic Explosive, uh, Explosivity Index. And that runs from zero to eight. And so to give you just an idea, Mount St. Helens, when it erupted in May of 1980, that was on a scale of one to eight or zero to eight. Zero to eight is, is nothing. I mean, there's no non-explosive event. Um, and Mount St. Helens in 1980 was about a four. The Krakatoa was a, a six. And believe it or not, there was one even more potent than Krakatoa, Tambora in 1815, that ranked a, about a seven, and Tambora is the volcano that supposedly led to the uh, so-called year without a summer in New England in 1816. That was the year that it uh, snowed in parts of New England every month of the year, including July and August, because there was so much aerosol, so much ash that had been uh, um, put up into the atmosphere. As you mentioned, Joe, that stuff has to go really high, 10 to 20 miles above the surface of the earth in order to have any influence. And, you know, right. store, you know, volcanoes like Krakatoa, Tambora, Pinatubo, those, those kind of volcanoes, those were boom, you know, th those were gigantic eruptions. In fact, I think I read somewhere that they could actually hear Krakatoa's eruption when it, when it finally let go, that they were able to hear that explosion from a from three thousand miles away, they Jeez. there were people who said that th th there was distant cannonading on the uh, off on the horizon, toward in the direction of where Krakatoa exploded. Just think about this: if you had if Mount Saint Helens had the potency of Krakatoa in 1883 and erupted with that force, we here in New York would have been able to hear the eruption of, of that of that volcano. Thankfully, it, was, it never turned out that way, but. Uh, I, I think right now the uh, St. Vincent volcano uh, pales in comparison to those really big eruptions of uh, of yesteryear. Krakatoa is east of Java. Remember that movie? Remember the movie? Yes. I remember that. Krakatoa, east of Java. East of Java. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that narrows it down, doesn't it? Because Mr. Ruben uh, Rub Fairchild... Uh, wants to know where crack it's spelt with a K by the way um, it, it's uh, in the what like Indonesia in that area it's east, it's east, east of Java east of Java Joe <laughs> east of Java and west of T <laughs> they had a very bad for one year they had a very bad uh, science fiction show on television I think it was in 1968 or 66 uh, the time tunnel it lasted all of one season and these two guys were traveling in time. They always landed in one specific historic spot of note. And in one of the episodes, they landed 
on the island where Krakatoa was, and they had to figure out how they were going to get off. How did they get off? Before the damn thing blew up. How did they get uh, off? Did they cancel the series before they did? Before they were able to escape? <laughs> I think just before it was just before the eruption, they somehow managed to switch switch the uh, time frequency or whatever, and they got them off of the island before. But through the whole, you know, through the whole uh, episode, you know, you kept hearing Krakatoa like rumble and rumble and. Whoever was on that island, they were trying to convince it, this is going to go, this is going to go, you know. Anyway. Nah, it ain't going to go. Nah, not happening. Isn't there there a volcano in the Canary Islands somewhere that supposedly when it erupts and they expect it to erupt, you know, big time like Krakatoa or Pinatubo, then when it erupts, it's going to cause a gigantic tsunami that's going to go right across the Atlantic Ocean. And, well, uh, I think I think because yeah, because of the way because of the fault line that's over there that they're always talking. They, occasionally, you see stuff about how you know part of the island's basically going to fall into the ocean, and that's going to be the catalyst for some huge you know mega tidal wave that's going to go across the Atlantic and you know right up into your backyard. It's going to come up the Hudson River. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, Mister Ruben Fairchild is asking, "Where is Java?" Um, Mr. Fairchild, look it Java up. is west. No, no, Java is west of Krakatoa. So yes. if you know where Krakatoa is, you could find Java. Right, Krakatoa <laughs> is east of Java. Actually, you can't find Krakatoa because that island's gone now. It's gone. It's, it's gone. gone so. The volcano erupted and, and they took the island with it. Right. Yeah, it's in that. What is that? Indonesia. Uh, those islands there, Singapore, and that whole complex right. that's between Australia and, and Southeast Asia. Krakatoa I used to, is east I used of Java, to be, and I, Java is west of Krakatoa. I used to be good at geography when I had a memory, but now apparently, you know, I'm finding I have to like relearn stuff that I used to just know now, off minute, the tip coin, of my fingers. Now, Coin Pig is saying Krakatoa is not east of Java. But you and I grew up, Joe. But the movie, movie said they, so. It was, it was East of Java. The movie was crack. <laughs> the name of the movie was, and the movie and, was and, 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 the, and right and the ads the the uh, commercials that ran on television was you know with the, sort of that deep booming voice, Krakatoa, East of Java. East of Java. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they had to include that. There must have been some marketing person that said, you know, we can't just call it Krakatoa because. It sounds like a broken foot, you know. So we better, you know, give it some some perspective somehow. Um, they couldn't say Krakatoa east of L.A. All right, here here it is. Film format: Krakatoa east of Java, a 1968 American disaster film starring Maximilian Shield, Joe. No kidding. And Brian Keith. Brian Keith. That was Family Affair. That's right. I wonder yes. if Buffy and Jody were on the island with, with Brian Keith. <laughs> And during the 1970s, the film was re-released. They changed the name in the 70s. They changed it to simply Volcano. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I guess it's, you know... I didn't know it either. I'm just kidding. I guess the Krakatoa East of Java thing didn't catch on. And then they tried it again. Loosely, and I, I, I use that term uh, significantly here, loosely based on events surrounding the 1883 eruption of the volcano on the island of Krakatoa with the characters engaged in the recovery of a cargo of pearls from a shipwreck perilously close to the volcano. Oh, right. And it, did, all, it wasn't. It was nominated to... for the Academy Award. 
It yeah. wasn't for, for best special visual effects. It did get a nomination for uh, the Academy Award. Actually, I, I'm just pulling it up on Rotten Tomatoes. I wanted to see you know what kind of reviews. And Joe, who was the one who who said that we were that they were wrong? That's not East of Java. It says here in Wikipedia now. Famously, the movie's title is inaccurate. Krakatoa is actually west of Java, but the movie's producer thought that East was a more atmospheric word as Krakatoa is located <laughs> in the far east. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> um, oh, fine. I'm trying to look this up on Rotten Tomatoes just to see what kind of reviews it got. Because, uh, you know, Maximil Maximilian Schell in that movie, I mean, he's no small potatoes. Uh, and and uh, Diane Baker was in it. And as you said, Brian Keith. And, of course, I, I, I look it up. I pull up. I, I, I click on the movie. And what does it say? Internal server you know, error. Sorry, but something you know, went you wrong. Know. Oh, here it is. Hold on. You, right, Maximilian, Maximilian Schell, Diane Baker, Brian Keith, Sal Minio. Oh, oh my! Oh, that must Sal have been Minio. Well, Sal Minio. Uh, Sal Minio died tragically. He was murdered. Leon. Um, he played Leon. Leon Cavallo Borghese. Oh, good lord! So uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, on Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a zero. Okay. And and the, a zero and the audience score uh, is uh, a twenty. It gets a twenty-seven. Let's see what some of these reviews have to say about it. Additionally, Peter Graves from Mission Impossible, right? Yes. Peter Graves is listed in the opening credits. Hang on. Oh God, this website is so slow. Uh. Okay. Just receives what some people said about this movie. Title During during production of Krakatoa East of Java, its producers became aware that Krakatoa is in fact west of Java and east of Sumatra. Mount Tambora or Sumbwawa is much less well known than Krakatoa, despite its own and even larger cataclysmic explosion in eighteen fifteen, is the violent volcano east of Java. Despite the geographic error in the film's title, its makers chose to leave it unchanged, apparently believing that it was more exotic. It was a more exotic title than Krakatoa, west of Java. Furthermore, the film aided in popularizing the spelling Krakatoa as opposed to the Indonesian spelling Krakatau, T-A-U. So there you go. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm just reading this one review. This is. Since the disaster doesn't seem enough of a story for the filmmakers, they are tacked on. There are tacked on tales about a mutiny, sunken treasure, deep sea divers, a new type of diving bell, balloonists, the search for an orphan boy. Of course, you have to have nuns in there, convicts, a fire, and if <laughs> right, and if and, and if that weren't enough, it tosses in a little striptease. Oh, good lord! Uh, so, so they. There you go. You know, but Joe, the movie producers, they, all, they do this to all the movies. They do. Apollo 13, for example, toward the end of the movie, uh, they said there was a typhoon watch uh, in the area where Apollo 13 was supposed to splash yeah, in that. the Pacific. No such, no such thing. No such thing whatsoever. Yeah. But, of course, they had to make They, had to make they have it. to make How stuff How about the off. movie The Babe? How about the movie The Babe? I don't know if you saw this. This was... Um, 
the guy who played the babe was uh, Roseanne's husband. Who is oh, who okay. Roseanne's um, on the TV oh, show? his face is right. Uh, John Goodman. John Goodman. He played Babe Ruth. There's a scene in that movie where Babe Ruth is at bat and he hits the ball straight up in the air. And the ball goes so high up that Babe Ruth or John Goodman is able to circle the bases for an inside the park home run before the pop fly landed somewhere in the infield. Never, Never happened. happened. And toward the end of his career, they show Babe Ruth, who's, who I guess was granted a special uh, dispensation by baseball so that if he hit a ball, he, he didn't have to run the bases because he was so old and so tired out. So they had somebody run the bases for him. That never happened either. I mean, why did they have to do these things? In, in Mr. Ruben Fairchild, I'm just kind of, you got to answer this question. How old are you? How old are you? Okay. Because you can't possibly be, oh, you, you, you've got to be, I'm going to guess, under the age of 12. Because, you know, your comments are, are really just, just incredibly childlike. So I mean, if you could kind of like let me know if I'm wrong, because you know it'd be even more tragic if you're going to tell me you're in your 30s or 40s and you and you and you, and you write stuff like the, the stuff that you write on the chat board. This movie sounds like it's 50 years old. Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, I, I I myself much rather would sit would watch some of the classics that were done, uh, you know, 50 years ago since some of the crap that's put out in, as 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 movies right now. So there. Um, uh, Robert Russo Thank hitting you, super Robert chat. He Russo, must have loved yes. my comments so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert. <laughs> most most appreciated. Um, yeah, I mean, just really, God, God. I, I and you know, the other thing is with you, it's like I, I just running through all the chat. I've been watching the chat very carefully. Do you ever even post anything? You everything you post is negative. Everything you post is either negative or nasty. I, seriously, you know. Good God. Grow up. I'm sorry. I had to say that because it was just getting on my nerves. Every, you know, every, every comment, you can't possibly be this negative on life. <laughs> oh, you realize, of course, you realize, of course, now he may, uh, the, uh, Mr. Fairchild may end up going the same place that, uh, what's his name went? <laughs> oh, oh, who? Uh, the one, oh. Um, you know, the one who said that winter was over. In December. Oh, it means Smadamad. Oh, we still have a search Smart party out. We still have a search party out for Smadamad. Nobody knows what in the name yeah. of God happened to, to, to that person. Uh, good <laughs> God. Just be more positive, Ruben. I mean, that's, you know, using your real name on there. I mean, just be a little more positive. You know, the, the chat's usually, everybody on the chat, it's a nice, wonderful conversation that goes on. <laughs> you guys exchange a lot of information. Uh, you know, kind of you know, play along and be positive for for, uh, for a little while. It might it might help you, okay? Uh, just uh, just just take it just just take a little advice. Or twenty two, okay. So look, take it up a notch. You're twenty two. Not everybody's raw. You know, not everything is negative. I sound like I'm talking to my kid. <laughs> Although all my children are older than that to. now. What's that? Yeah. I was 22 once. We all were 22 once. In fact, you're going to be divisible. Pretty soon you're going to be divisible by, th your age, you're going to be divisible by three. Now, now. I mean, no, well, I'm almost there, too. I mean, both of us are going to be, you know. 
I'm going to be divisible for, for 21. This. Next in January, I'll be 63. Well, oh, David Schwartz says, Babe Ruth did not have a courtesy runner, but there was a player known as Babe's Legs who would often go in for him as a pinch runner or a defensive replacement. But that, but this was when, excuse me, and this was when he was uh, with the Yankees, he says. Well, you know, if, in, the, in, the, in the movie, in the game where he uh, hits three home runs at Forbes Field, I mean, he, he goes to first base and then the runner runs the rest of the way around for the first, for the first two home runs. And then when he hits the third home run, he waves off the runner and he goes around the bases himself. And supposedly after he crosses home plate, he, he retires from baseball. He tells the owner, he walks up to the owner of the Boston, uh, the Boston Bees or the Boston Braves and takes his hat off and drops it. And more or less that says, I quit. I'm not playing anymore, which is also an untruth because he continued after he hit those three home runs to play for Boston for a while longer. But again, that's that's the way the movie was. Uh, that's the way the movie was was written. You know, they try to hype things up. Suppose you know the, the the original Babe Ruth movie starred William Bendix, Joe. Yes, it's William it Bendix life. in the Life of Riley, of with Riley. Marjorie Reynolds as Peg, Tom DeAndre as Gillis, Wes Morgan as Junior, and Gloria Blondell as Honeybee. <laughs> I used to watch that show in reruns on CBS Channel Two, like in the afternoon. Remember that? Yes. What a revol what a revolting development, development this is. is. Um, and and in that movie, they said that that movie, the movie of the biography of Babe Ruth, played by William Bendix, they said that the Babe actually saw that movie, and it was. They said that was the thing that was the last straw that killed Babe Ruth. He walked out of the movie before it was over. Supposedly, the scene where Babe Ruth rushes into a hospital with a dying dog, and the uh, the little kid who owns the dog, and he starts screaming. Get a doctor out here. We have a we have a sick patient. <laughs> yeah. Who the hell are you? I Babe Ruth. Take William, care of this dog. William Bendix. Um, William Bendix uh, was very good in Lifeboat. Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Yes. Uh, yes. He uh, he he was he was quite good in that movie, and uh, yeah, they, had, they had to amputate his leg in in in, uh, in, in, in that in. The, well, you know, critical scene there in, in the middle of the picture. Um, there was there were also a whole bunch of Tallulah Bankhead stories that um, I, I don't want, I don't necessarily want to get into, but um, but it, it's a very good it, it, it's a very good Hitchcock film. Uh, <coughs> and, it, and, and of course, Hitchcock appeared, did a cameo appearance in every single movie. And you yes. say to yourself, so how did he possibly make yes. a cameo appearance in Lifeboat? And he did because there was a newspaper. And, the and diet coming ad. through the newspaper. <laughs> let, let me, there he is. Let me tell you. The, let me just. Let me tell you the difference because. Uh, let me tell you the difference between the, the movies from today and, and the movies from yes, the, the quote unquote old movies and the black and white movies. Okay, so the the big difference I find is that um, in in the in in the good. Yeah, you know, every every year there are movies that that'll that'll go down as classics, and um, you know you watch them certainly on Turner Classic <coughs> Movies. But the older movies had to deal with censors and all sorts of other things. So 
they the writers had to be brilliant to be able to get around censors and the old the old black and white movies when you watch them they require you to do two things that you don't necessarily um, uh, do in movies of today listen and think okay you have to really focus on what's going on and once you when you approach those movies and then you start to look at how they're directed how they're shot um, you know, you really have to think your way through the movie, and you can't just sit there and just watch it. You have to, you have to, you have to understand what's going on at, at, at different levels. I think it makes those movies better uh, uh, in terms of quality. Uh, you watch a movie, you know, any any classic movie, Casablanca, uh, The Maltese Falcon. Um, yeah, I can make a, a, a list of. Um, I was watching All the King's Men uh, last week with the Broderick Crawford. Uh, which is supposed to be about, you know, based on, you know, sort of loosely based on the biography of Hugh, Huey Long. I think the acting in that movie is just astounding and just, just, just absolutely astounding. Uh, but, you know, a movie like that today just doesn't, you know, it, it just doesn't get made. It, it's not sexy enough. I, uh, what was your, what, what was your favorite movie? I mean, the absolute number one on your list. Okay, so uh, I've always found that to be a really difficult question because there are so many different movies that I love that that um, and, and I don't like to compare one with the other because they might be you know different types of movies. For example, I love uh, I love Harvey uh, with Jimmy Stewart, um, Jimmy and, Stewart. And, you know about the rabbit, um, you know hilarious movie. Uh, I love um, All About Eve, which I think is probably one of the best written, if not the best written movie ever made. Uh, the the, uh, the writing in that is is just astounding, uh, and and you really have to pay attention to it. Uh, you could you could put a I could probably list five Hitchcock movies that that uh, I, I could sit and watch anytime they're on. Uh, Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, which is one of my, which is on my list of all-time favorites, um, and then there are a few others that that um, you know are not as well known necessarily, but when they come on, uh, I like to I, I, I like to watch at Christmas time. I love watching The Bishop's Wife. Uh, I, I really I really enjoy that. Um, I love Frank Capra's You Can't Take It With You. I think that's a far better movie than um, It's a Wonderful Life and, and actually came before that. So those, those are among some of the movies. You know, there's a lot of other ones that I, I, you know, I could probably sit here all night long. I'd have to go back and really kind of write up a list. Because now, of course, you ask me that question. I'm kind of running through my head thinking, okay, which movie, which movie? Uh, I, I'll tell you. Just, just because it just popped into my head now, Angela Lansbury in the Manchurian Candidate. I think that is probably one, if not the best, it's certainly in the top five best performances by an actress. Um, that is such an evil character that she plays in in that movie, and you know she was she was playing the mother of 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 the, of, of the character Raymond. And in re in real life, she was only like two or three years older than him. Uh, that, but her performance in that movie, how she, 
I mean, I know why she didn't get the Oscar that year because that uh, that the Oscars that year went to uh, uh, the Miracle Worker. Patty Duke won for for best for best supporting actress, and uh, Anne Bancroft won for best actress. But her performance in that to me was just it, it's among the five best performances that I've for for, for a supporting actress anyway. Well, you have a number of uh, different movies that you go through and try to make a determination, a subjective determination is what's the top. With me, I don't do that. To me, the number one movie, at least for me, was a movie that was made in 1964 uh, with Henry Fonda, and it was in black and white, and the name of the movie is Failsafe. Safe. Yes, I love Failsafe. That's that, a great movie. And that movie, I, I, I still wonder to this day why Larry Hagman, who, of course, played... Uh, he should have got an Nelson. Oscar nomination for that. He really he should have. got an Oscar. I've, I've, read, I've, I've read stories about that movie, the making of that movie, and that, that subject does come up. He should have gotten an Oscar nomination uh, for that. Um, uh, that uh, but Failsafe is a great movie. It, 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 I, I've seen it several times. Excellent movie. So that's why I don't like... See, that's why for me... You know, you're, you you name a movie that I, I wouldn't I would not have named it in this conversation because I wouldn't have thought of it. But I've you know you bring it up, um, yeah, uh, absolutely great movie. I'd put it but on again, my list. But but here's the sad part, and you what you mentioned before, you have to get into that movie. If you you have to stay with it. If in the first half hour or forty five minutes of that movie, a lot of people may just be scratching their heads and saying. Where's this taking us? What is what's going on here? I don't understand it or whatever, because that's our modern society. But if you stay with it, uh, you eventually see how all the pieces start coming together in the middle and latter part of the movie. But again, if you don't stay with it in the beginning, you're not going to understand it. It's not going to be a great movie. For and you also have you. to know the history of the Cold War too. Correct. And you have to, you know, if you Correct. live through that time, you'll get it. Uh, but if you didn't, you'd have to know the history of that. So. Um, Mr. RF wants to know our best weather-themed movie. I have to tell you, quite honestly, I mean, I haven't seen what was it like? What were the what were the weather-themed movies in the last thirty years? A couple of them. The one that's based on the Twister. The, Twister. Uh, I, I sat through like ten minutes of it, and and, and and it was like, no, I'm not watching this. The the, the perfect storm. Uh, yeah, my wife no. hates that that movie. Yeah, that's not. Bernada that, hates it. Yeah, I don't like it either. I watched a little bit of it. It was like, no, you know, not doing it. Uh, <laughs> I do love the tornado in the Wizard of Oz. Well, those the, the that effect was spectacular. It's hard to believe that was made in 1939. It is every bit as good as any of the effects that you'll see done by computer today. Um, those tornadoes. Actually, there were several of them, right? There was yeah. more than one tornado. It's a twister. It's a twister. It's a twister. No, I, Dorothy! 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 <laughs> well, you 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 know my interpretation of uh, of the Wizard of Oz, a juvenile delinquent, run, you know, running around with three three older older men in a in a somewhat inappropriate relationship. You know, they murder this poor, they kill this poor old woman. Who, who the only thing she inherited from her dead sister were her shoes uh, and then and then and then she and then Dorothy, what does Dorothy do she lawyers up 
<laughs> you know, seriously. Uh, Christina Pedia, you bring up a point, though. She said, uh, the sound of music, uh, because of the historical reference, I'd never seen it until eight years ago because I didn't know it took place during World War II, the storyline, and now it's one of your favorites. Um, so I, The Sound of Music is a good movie. I, I really enjoy it. But it, but in terms of what you said when you first saw it eight years ago, I, I just want to mention for uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Uh, there's a movie that I really, the first time, and I was always a you know, big Hitchcock fan. I watched Vertigo. I hate Vertigo. I hated it. I hated it. I didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't get it. And then I watched it um, again and again and again. And I, I watched it nine or ten times. I think at the tenth time, I finally got it. I finally understood what that movie is about. I'm not going to explain it because um, it took me so long to figure it out. I'm not giving that, you know, I'm not just going to give that free work away. But my point is, it's a movie that is so intricate and so, at, at such a different level. Uh, both psychologically and artistically, that I had to sit down and watch it ten times until I finally understood it. And now I, you know, I watch it every time it comes on because it, it's uh, it, 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 it received <coughs> it received mixed reviews initially, but then as time wore on, in the yes. same way that you were affected by it, more and more people got got into it, and uh, in some cases they now say that Vertigo surpasses. Um, Orson Welles' um, a movie, uh, uh, Rosebud. What, what, Citizen what, what Kane. Was it? Um, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane surpasses that as the greatest film that has ever been made. Believe it or not. Yeah, uh, I Citizen Kane is a, is a um, it's in a world of its own in terms of uh, you know it's amazing that Orson Welles directed that movie and he was I, I think he was like twenty five when he did it you know to to, to uh, to do something that brilliant so young, uh, and and then you know how do you beat that later on in your career? You know it's 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 very very difficult to do. But um, even even water even Waterman on, on the uh, chat board says Doctor Strange Glove, and even that that movie Doctor Strange Glove is the satirical takeoff of Failsafe. Um, after Failsafe came out, they. I guess they decided, like, why don't we do some a funny version of that? And that was with Doctor Strange. And of course, the famous thing about Doctor Strange Glove was the very end when Slim Pickens uh, rides one of the uh, nuclear warheads. He's he's going down. He goes, leaves the plane, and he's going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michael McGuire hitting super chat tonight. Thank you, Michael. He says for being here tonight, Joe. I assume for both of us. Or maybe for you, because you were saying yesterday how with the Moderna shot you weren't sure you know if you were going to get side effects or not, and thankfully so far I haven't. Um, I'll tell you what: in the last, literally in the last hour, Joe, in the last hour now, I could move my hand like this, mm -hmm. and I didn't feel anything when I was having dinner two hours ago. Now I'm doing it, and now I'm beginning to feel like sore, a little bit sore. Yeah. In this, in this. Yeah, program. I was I, I was more sore from the second shot than from the first. I was the only you know the my arm got. Uh, was was uh, was hurting me the next day. Whereas on the first shot, it was you know it was a little sore, but it was nothing, you know, it was nothing that was really truly bothering me. Um, but uh, yeah, I it definitely was hurting a little bit more after the second one. So, 
Well, that was a nice at one hour and eighteen minutes. Yeah, that was a nice tangent to get get uh, on. By the way, uh, Turner Classic Movies during the month of April. This is usually it's in February, but because of the Oscars being, you know, late with everything with the pandemic and all. Uh, but uh, so April is uh, thirty one uh, is their uh, usual thirty one days of Oscar. So obviously it takes the 30 days of April and the first day of May. They usually do it in February, so it takes the 28 days of February and the first three days of uh, uh, the first two days of March. Uh, but they're running Oscar-nominated movies every day, and it's not just Best Pictures. They're nominating, you know, watch showing you movies that might have been nominated for special effects, or they might have been nominated for directing, and, and not necessarily for acting. And you know, they might have won Best Picture, but they might not have won Best Picture, or or, or or not even be nominated for Best Picture, but it's certainly a very large variety of different movies that you may may not have seen before. So I always uh, I always run through Turner Classics at least once a day to see what's what's on, and sometimes they have some really funny you know old 1940s comedies, and uh, they actually by the way they start they're running um, which Abbott and Costello movie I think they're running Buck Privates next month. They 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 they're going to start running some Abbott and Costello movies. I haven't seen those in a while. I haven't seen those that one for a long time either. Um, and Ruben Fairchild now mentions about uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Here's a movie that's not often shown um, with almost the same title, The Birdman of Alcatraz, with um, yes, um, Burt Lancaster. And 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 my favorite. My absolute favorite supporting actress of all time, Thelma Ritter, and she got that was her sixth Oscar nomination. Yeah, Thelma Ritter was great. Every she stole any movie that you see that that Thelma Ritter has been in that she got nominated for an Oscar. She steals the movie. She's the one you remember when the movie's over, and. Uh, She's uh yeah she's in she plays Burt Lancaster's mother in that movie. I have to actually I haven't I haven't seen that from beginning to end. I always have caught it like in the middle or or the second half. I have to one of these days when it comes on again, you know I'm going to sit there and watch uh, from start to finish. But uh, she was she was terrific. She every movie she that she landed in. She's in Rear Window. Uh, Hitchcock's Rear Window. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Boy, she. Do you, I, you don't stay up very late, I know, because uh, down here on me t up here in, on me TV, there's the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Um, yes, they run that at one o'clock in the morning. And so, another great, me, I used, another great supporting actress d did a few of those was Gladys Cooper. Gladys Cooper, that's yes, right. she was terrific. That's right, she was terrific at everything. Wasn't she Gladys did. Cooper the? Wasn't Gladys Cooper the one who played the old woman? In, in Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone yes, with, with with Robert Redford. Yes, Robert that's Redford. Gladys Cooper. That was Cooper. just last week. Yeah, yeah, that's Gladys Cooper. Um, she was uh, she played Betty Davis's mother in Now Voyager, even though she was only a few years older than Betty Davis. <laughs> just, and, 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 and and steals the movie. You know, supporting actors, the the really good supporting actors are the ones that you remember when you go see a movie and you come away like uh, Joe Pesci, for example, in Goodfellas. You know. You, you right. can think of all the actors that were in Goodfellas. He's the name that everybody remembers, and you know he was. The, right. he, so the, the, that that that's how you know a supporting actor has done their job um, when they steal the movie. 
<laughs> oh, good lord! All right, it was a good. Uh, it was a good side conversation that we uh, that we went off to. So that made for a, a nice one hour and what are we? An hour and twenty two minutes in now. Yes. So let's uh, let's uh, say good night. Oh, Mr. Ruben Fairchild, thank you so much for hitting super chat. I know it was a little hard on you. Uh, young man, but you know you're 22 and you're still a little bit wet behind the ears. But you know I'm sure you'll you'll get it. You'll get it. Thank you for hitting super chat. Very very much appreciated. So that's your assignment, you by go. the way. Go and you know watch a couple. You know watch a few of the classic old movies, and just bear in mind you're going to have to watch them. You may have to watch them multiple times before you before you truly appreciate uh, uh, what they're what those movies were trying to say. And I'll just leave it at that. I've done my good deed for the day. My rant turned out to produce something positive. <laughs> All right, Joe. All right. I'll tell you what I'm laughing. I'll tell you what I'm laughing at after we close close shop here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, the Joe and Joe Weather Show tonight uh, is was and still is brought to you by. Uh, Omni True Value Hardware at uh, 1226 North Wellwood Avenue in West Babylon, New York, right on, on, on Long Island. Uh, the telephone number is 631-756-1125. It's mulch season and topsoil season and everything else you need to get your yard in order. So give them a call or go to their website, omnitruevalue.com, or just drive up with your truck and load up with uh, with some mulch. So you and I will be back at our usual shopping time tomorrow, 7.30 Eastern. So uh, we'll see you again. We'll see you then. Thank you. All the Super Chat hits tonight uh, from uh, David Fuller, Robert Russo, Michael McGuire, and Mr. Ruben Fairchild. Thank you so much, all of you, for uh, hitting Super Chat. Uh, Joe and I really do appreciate it. Uh, see you tomorrow night at 7.30. Have a good one. <laughs>